0: Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. One of the leading and perhaps most promising COVID-19 vaccines is being produced by the biotech firm Moderna. However, questions have been raised about whether Moderna used a cell line derived from an aborted child in the development of its vaccine. Some insist that it did, others argue it did not. What's the truth, and what are the implications of this for faithful Catholics and others of goodwill? Today we will discuss these and other related questions with two distinguished guests. The first is our own Father Tad Maholchuk, Director of Education for the National Catholic Bioethics Center. The second is Dr. John Gravenstein, retired global executive director of medical affairs for Merck vaccines. Father Tad and Dr. Gravenstein, welcome to our podcast.
1: Great to be with you. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here.
0: So, this is the First time both of you have been on our Bioethics On Air podcast, and I ask this of every new guest. So I was wondering if you could both tell our listeners a bit about your background, specifically your education and your work experience. Father Tad.
2: Yes. Well, um, my background, I do have a science background. I uh, got a doctorate in neuroscience, and I was working on cloning genes that are expressed in the brain. And... After I did that, I decided it would make a lot of sense to focus on bioethics and medical ethics areas precisely because of the scientific background. So I did some uh, studies in Rome in bioethics, and that has kind of laid the groundwork, that together with the scientific background, for uh, my work at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, where I do serve as the director of education. And really, I would say the focus of my efforts there are on educational outreach. So a lot of traveling and speaking, a lot of writing and educating, trying to explain really the, the reasonableness, the rationale for the church's views on many of these ethical areas. And that has been my focus with the center since about 2003. That's when I uh, when I first joined the National Catholic Bioethics Center.
0: Great. Thanks. John?
1: Uh, Joe, I'm a, a pharmacist to start, and then uh, eventually got my PhD in epidemiology, which is the measurement science of public health. Uh, I went through college on an ROTC scholarship, so then I ended up spending 27 years in the U.S. Army. Uh, uh, my final job leading vaccine policy for the five armed services. And then in 2006, uh, left, uh, retired from the Army and moved over to uh, Merck Vaccines and um, uh, was a member of and then led the medical affairs group uh, globally for the vaccine division.
0: So we have some very good experience in this podcast today to talk about this question. Let's get into some of the uh, the nitty-gritty here. So, Father Tad, can you tell us right now, which, COVID, uh, which COVID-19 vaccine trials look most promising right now?
2: Uh, you know, that's a hard question to answer ahead of time. I mean, certainly some of these trials are further along than others. And, you know, what many people are doing in an attempt to answer a question like that is they're saying well, who is getting the most support and specifically who's getting the most governmental support, uh, because we have this Operation Warp Speed, which is this effort by the government. It's administered by uh, HHS, by the Biomedical Advance Research and Development Authority known as BARDA, and also by the Department of Defense. So you've got some real big players there, and they are sinking literally billions of dollars into particular companies uh, and their development efforts so if you use that as kind of a yardstick and say you know what does Operation Warp Speed see as the most likely to succeed where have they been putting their their dollars if you follow the dollars here Uh, then I think that you end up with about five uh, major companies that are that are being supported one is Moderna which you mentioned in the opener Another one is Protein Sciences, Sanofi. Merck has also received uh, a significant amount of money. And then there's uh, AstraZeneca, University of Oxford collaboration. And finally, there's Johnson & Johnson and their Janssen research and development arm. And uh, those would be kind of the big five players who really, I think, are getting a lot of note, a lot of press time. But that's not a guarantee, you know, that this is... The most likely to succeed necessarily, I think. You know that'll be part of what it will be interesting to discuss on this podcast. Uh, many of these companies, these five that I listed, use a similar approach, and there has been there have been some critiques that those that standard approach that everybody is using may not be the one that will ultimately work. There are some you know criticisms in terms of the way that the developmental efforts have focused down just onto uh, spike protein as the kind of key element for uh, vaccine development. So we can circle back to that later. But I mean, my general sense here would be that we're, we're even now rather early in the game. And those who are even in phase three, you know, we still have to wait and see what comes out the other end before we say, well, this one is definitely the leader of the pack. Uh, So that that would be my, you know, I, I would just sound a note of caution here. And part of the reason is that it seems to me, generally, vaccine development is a very time intensive reality. Typically, it's not a matter of months it's not even a matter of years. It's sometimes a matter of decades before you get a vaccine where you're really comfortable uh, with the outcome and the safety profile and so on. So I think, you know, we're we're early in the game here and it's hard to call the winner of the race.
0: All right, John, same question. Uh, which COVID-19 vaccine trials do you think look most promising right now?
1: So the the newspapers, news media tends to keep referring to this as a race. And if you're following the stock market, you know, which company uh, gets licensed first might be a winner for you financially, but that's not the public health view. Um, there are multiple different technologies being applied, multiple different approaches. And to a certain extent, we want, you know, multiple products to graduate, to complete their studies, to uh, earn their diplomas, if you want to use those analogies. As Father Ted, Ted said, uh, the, the um, evidence is beginning to accumulate. Uh, I've been doing some tracking of the candidates, uh, following them over time. There's now five studies in uh, non-human primates, rhesus macaques mainly, uh, that are showing survival if the uh, monkeys are vaccinated, some time elapses, and then challenged with virus. There's good survival rates uh, in those animals. The, the early human studies are showing the the right kinds of antibody responses and cellular responses that one would look for and hope for. Um, but ultimately, we still need multiple months yet for the, the effectiveness trials, the big, the big phase three trials, uh, to conclude before you know, FDA would have enough evidence to uh, grant any licenses.
0: Yeah. John, I'd like to pick up with something that uh, you and actually both Father Tad mentioned, and it's these phase three clinical trials. So, Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine is in the third stage or in phase three uh, clinical trial. What does this mean? And maybe as a follow-up to that, does, does a phase three trial mean we're close to having a commercially available vaccine?
1: So uh, all drugs, uh, vaccines included, go through three phases primarily in humans. Well, first of all, there you know, phase zero or the preclinical phase is to do all sorts of animal testing and that's uh, been done and more is underway. You can think of phase one as being dozens of volunteers and then phase two as hundreds of volunteers and then phase three as thousands of volunteers and- (laughs) <laughs> safety is assessed in all the, st- all the phases. Um, you, in the f- early st- uh, phases, one looks for the right dose to administer. And then phase three is when y- y- usually it's called a pivotal trial, pivotal, meaning we're going to find out whether it works or not. And so it's, it's the, it's the one it's, it's the one for all the marbles, uh, to, to figure out if the, if the product works or not. And, um, uh, there are uh, uh, two or three candidates that are in uh, phase three trials now. And uh, typically there's, you know, a, a vaccine recipient group and a control group, and the two groups are compared. And uh, the FDA has declared that any successful product that it would license has to be at least 50% effective, That it were meaning, which means that the infection rate in the control group uh, whatever that would be, the 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 infection rate in the vaccinated group has to be at least, or no more than half of that
2: rate.
0: Very interesting, Father Ted. Anything to add about phase three clinical trials?
2: Not really. I mean, my understanding is also that there are uh, three currently in that phase, and uh, that that's you know encouraging in in one sense to realize that a lot of the preparatory groundwork has been done a lot of the animal studies you know have gotten uh, pretty much carried out to completion and now we're in this this important next phase of the testing so you know i do think it's there there's clearly a sense in which in virtue of the prioritization that has been happening in virtue of the sense of the seriousness of the pandemic that we have seen uh, a real acceleration of a lot of these processes. And so, you know, I think that's both good and bad, uh, and, and but definitely encouraging to see. Also, I think that that, I mean, my sense here is that what this is going to do for a number of the pharmaceutical companies is sort of move vaccine development further up the hierarchy of importance, because I think, in, in Some of the companies in the past maybe made an assessment that there was a lot of risk and little return for very long-term development efforts. And I think as we sort of get this whole machine back up and running, uh, and running pretty efficiently, and with the realization that, that the coronavirus may not be the only threat of the future, that other threats may be forthcoming, that we will have a better ready situation to respond to future threats when they do arise. So, you know, I see that as, as encouraging. And I mean, the fact that these phase three trials are, are moving along, uh, I think speaks to that.
0: All right. Very good. All right. So next question is for Father Ted. There's been a fair amount of discussion recently about Moderna's use or non-use of the HEK-293 cell line in its COVID-19 vaccine. Can you tell us what is HEK-293 and what are the ethical challenges with it?
2: Yeah, the HEK-293 cell line, it is a human embryonic kidney cell line. So it is derived from an abortion that happened uh, many years ago. And what has happened, I mean, when you produce a cell line, typically these lines are immortalized preparations of cells. That's not always true, but in many cases it is true that they are immortalized. So if you basically just take care of the cells as you grow them in tissue culture, uh, you know, feed them, split them into fresh petri dishes, etc. They're gonna they're gonna continue to grow for you and continue to perform for the various functions that you need them for. And HEK uh, two nine three cells have become a kind of workhorse, I would say, in the biomedical arena, and a lot of researchers use them, and they are popping up at different in different. Uh, discussions about vaccine development as well. And that's just a reflection of the fact that they are so widely disseminated in the research community. So obviously, there's a a concern here. If we say these came from a direct abortion that happened many years back, that immediately raises ethical red flags. And we say to ourselves, well, gee, Shouldn't we be considering alternative cell sources? And the answer is definitely yes, and I think we'll discuss that further in the podcast. But this, this fact that these cells are rather entrenched and widely utilized is not an easy goalpost to adjust you know, to move away from this. uh, Because part of the, you have to consider the way this works. If you have these cells entrenched for many years or even decades of research, you've got people who have written doctoral theses, who have published multiple papers relying on these cells. And all of a sudden, people start to say, well, there's an ethical concern. You know, it's not easy to reformulate or establish a new cell line and go back and verify that all prior experimentation along a particular trajectory will reproduce in the same way as it did in the HEK293s. So I just mentioned that to say that there's a lot of um, blood, sweat, and tears that has been invested already into the HEK293 line. And if we're going to, you know, as a research community, step away from the use of these cells, there's gonna be a lot there's gonna be a need for a lot more blood sweat and tears, so to speak, to you know reinitiate uh a, a, a ethically uncontroversial research workhorse like the h e k two nine three cells
0: yeah i think uh I think John is going to speak about this a little bit in a, in a in a subsequent question. I do want to mention just for our listeners that we have um, more information about these um, cell lines in our episode 33 of Bioethics on Air. It's called COVID-19 and Ethical Challenges to Vaccine Development, which we recorded with John DiCamillo. It's available on our website. And um, John DiCamillo talks about this issue um, in quite a bit of detail. So that's another resource for our listeners. So let's move back uh, to, to John, um, John Grabenstein. John, you held several high-level positions at Merck, an organization that used and, in fact, benefited from the quote-unquote tainted cell lines WI-38 and MRC-5, lines that are similar to um, the HEK-293, at least in terms of their the ethical questions. Did this fact... Cause conflict for you, and and how did you reconcile it with your Catholic faith? Uh,
1: so it, it was a it was a long, uh, thoughtful uh, episode. I think um, <laughs> but, um, my Merc job was in the medical affairs group. I was the liaison to CDC and the CDC counterparts in Europe, Australia, Japan, all around the world. Um, And I, I knew at the beginning that, uh, you know, the, the, the remote fetal origins of of some of the uh, the vaccines or the, or the cell lines for some of the vaccines and made that apparent to Merck as, uh, as we were, you know, you know, considering whether I was a great match for that job or not. Um, And. Eventually, I, I said I, I need to advocate. Uh, you know that that there be no more that the that the cell lines be avoided as much as possible. Uh, and, and my boss understood that and and um, I approached it in that way. And and so as I would work internally within Merck, I was a voice to uh, to a, to the other parts of the company, the company the parts of the company doing the research and development or discovery as it's known in the, in the industry, that they not use, um, cell lines with, uh, uh, with remote fetal origins, uh, unless there was absolutely no other alternative that the virus didn't grow, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in anything but one of these cell lines. And, um, uh, I was listened to, I was respected. I thought I was in, a, what I was hearing back was that, um, uh, uh, the WI38 and the MRC5 cells that were the, you know, the, the those of you who are familiar with the history of all this will recognize that as the the previous sorts source, sources of problems. Um, that that they were now um, out of favor. That there were better technologies, and I thought we were putting this behind us. Um, but in fact, uh, you know, as we've uh, come into the, the this coronavirus situation, we find the. HEK-293s and, and, and another cell line with a different product, you know, back uh, posing problems for us again. And so, um, I approached it. Your question was how I approached the issue. And right. one was, uh, uh, you know, transparently with the other workers that I was involved with and I, I, I hope uh, forthrightly.
0: Did you feel you had any success influencing Mark one way or the other?
1: Um <laughs> uh, you know there were there were people for whom religion is not or ethical issues are not a, a major part of their persona or they they couldn't figure out why i was worried about this this these were right. past events so what's the big deal and you know i'd, I'd uh, uh come around to, you know try to try to explain that that basis in the end you know we i what we came to was sort of a technical uh those old cell lines aren't the best thing. It wasn't that I persuaded anybody it was that right the it was more of a technical uh matter but uh but I spoke up,
0: yeah, I'm wondering if other than yourself did anyone ever challenge you um about your work at Merck, either you know f- people from, say, the pro-life side, or did you get, or were you challenged from inside Merck from those people who you say, you know, didn't have any, you know, religious or ethical qualm with with what was being done? Nobody
1: belittled me. Nobody chastised me. I guess that would be the way to say it. Um, there, there, wa- there was, uh, I think, respect that they understood. Uh, many understood where I was coming from, and they were looking for you know, what's the best way to get a win-win solution kind of uh, kind of a, uh, approach.
0: Mm-hmm. So next question to you, John, once again, some have argued that there's, quote, no need, unquote, for biotech or pharmaceutical companies to use ethically tainted cell lines to produce a COVID-19 vaccine. Or they've stated that these companies, quote, can simply change, unquote, to using ethically sourced cell lines. Can you evaluate these claims?
1: I, I would say that there that's incorrect. It's just okay. too simple.
0: okay. Um,
1: we know that coronaviruses do not grow in chicken eggs, which means from the start that the same way that influenza vaccine is made each year is not available. Um, there's another kind of um, uh, a canine dog origin cell line called uh, M- uh, MDCK that's made from canine kidneys or uh, originally. And they don't. Uh, coronaviruses don't grow in that either. Okay. So, so that gives you a hint that that you know the, the, these things are simply not interchangeable. There's there's virology and and biology that that has to be taken into account. So what as I you know look back on all the things that happened since January, it, it's as if to me you know there's a, a wolf growling at the door figuratively, <laughs> and so then each of the companies picked up. The technologies that they have available in their workshops, figuratively, Mm -hmm. and set to work creating vaccines. Not every company has every cell line available for reasons of patents and intellectual property, and even just training and and familiarity or machines. So it's as if that wolf is growling at the door, and the archers picked up their bows and arrows, and the hunters picked up their rifles. And the chef picked up the longest knife in the kitchen. And obviously I'm speaking figuratively, but everybody applied what they uh, felt uh, most suitable to the task or what that you know, they thought could bear fruit most quickly. And so that's why there are so many different companies with so many different technologies uh, being applied here. Um, a few of them uh, clearly have no in- involvement of, of tainted cell lines. The mRNA uh, products that we're going to get to talking about don't use cells at all in their uh, production method. It's more like a a synthesis, a chemical synthesis. And so one doesn't have to grow viruses at all with uh, with that technology.
0: So in other words, the archer can't use the knife- you can the archer can only use what the archer has so a pharmaceutical company can only use the weapons that they have yeah to they, go they, to this they, war. They, the
1: archer may not have the knife in their tool toolkit right um, effectively
0: okay father Ted uh, any comments on on people saying that there's no need to use these ethically tainted cell lines or that biotech companies can quote simply change to using ethically sourced cell lines
2: yeah I would just say that um, this is the kind of thing that is not easily done. Certainly, in theory, a company can change its direction, it can make certain decisions to approach a problem in a different way, but there tends to be a huge amount of labor that will be associated with uh, doing that. And I think for these companies to turn on a dime uh, you know people imply that this is something that can happen with relative ease and i think that is incorrect in the sense that while it can happen it's likely to be a very long and involved process which will go back which will involve going back and verifying certain outcomes using a different set of tools as the vaccine development takes place so it's not a, a simple transition here in the way that it's sometimes framed to be. Uh, I think that there is a set of tools that, uh, that are already in place that have been kind of tried and true for particular companies, and that's what they're used to, and it's not an easy or automatic step to go into a completely novel uh, set of tools.
0: All right. Next question uh, goes to Father Tad first. And and we're now getting into the the main issue that I'd I'd like to address in this podcast. So some people of goodwill and good intention insist that Moderna has used HEK-293 cells in the development, and I use the term development very, very broadly here, but has used these cells in the development of its COVID-19 vaccine. However, others also of goodwill and intention argue that moderna has not so here's the question how if at all was the cell line used by moderna father tad
2: okay so um the the issue here it seems to me that uh the the how you're going to define development Is going to be part of the challenge. Uh, You're saying development of the vaccine. And so I think there's a kind of limited sense in which one can define that. And I think that's really the, the, the prima facie sense, which would say, well, these cell lines, the HEK cell line, is being used in the manufacture of. The vaccine. So that's the kind of prima facie. Oh, yeah, there's direct involvement versus the question of all right, there were a number of scientific steps here that preceded us even getting to the point of manufacture. And in those steps that preceded, and those steps may have, by the way, not involved Moderna at all. But may have involved other researchers at other institutions or at other drug companies, et cetera, rather independently of Moderna. And if they used HEK293 cells and some of those development steps to get to the point where Moderna could do the manufacturing, should we declare that, oh, that means in the development, we are relying. On HEK293. So, my view of this would be that even if there may be some instances where the HEK293 cells were used by others to ferret out some of the basic biology that's needed to be understood here, for example, growing up spike protein um, and maybe identifying what is the structure of the spike protein. You know, those are steps that were important, clearly, to the development of the vaccine. But uh, those were steps that were done, I believe, in anticipation of further work that would lead to a vaccine. Yes, but were not part of, you know, Moderna's explicit effort. So, in that sense, I think what we have here is a situation in which Moderna um, has has only drawn information about the spike protein, in particular, uh, from other sources where HEK293 cells were used. So my understanding here is that there was a step in which the spike protein basically was evaluated for which parts of this protein are likely to be useful uh, in terms of generating an immune response. And to do that, they had to produce some of the protein and to produce some of the protein, then they, these other scientists, not from Moderna, did have to Uh, express this using HEK293 cells and that is where I think others have said well that means therefore it's involved in the development and um, the actual process that of course Moderna is using as we've mentioned earlier in in the podcast is cell free so it doesn't, the manufacture step does not involve any kind of cell utilization it basically is hey we're going to take a machine we're going to crank out a bunch of rna from it and we're going to encase that mrna into some little kind of globules of fat and then inject those intramuscularly into people and those pieces of rna contain information that came you know from the original spike protein studies uh, but doesn't require any HEK two nine three cells for that vaccine, and therefore, you know the way this is going to work is you've got some initial information that you might want to call tainted, but the actual vaccine itself is going to the, that RNA that we we're talking about is going to go inside the recipient cells and trigger those cells to make some of their own pieces of spike protein that will then generate an immune response. So that's kind of a long way of saying that there there is the manufacture part and there's the non-manufacture preceding work and in my opinion you are only going to run into a potential issue in the precursor work and I don't think that one can say one can blame this if you will on Moderna and so in that sense Moderna is picking up on the shoulders of other people's work that did rely on some problematic cell lines, but their own work does not per se require uh, the use of these problematic cell lines derived from fetuses uh, that died from a direct abortion.
0: John, your perspective on this?
2: I'll just add that um,
1: with the other vaccines, uh, you know, from the 80s and 90s, that you know, that we've that we've had concerns over the WI38 and the MRC5 cell lines. That, that's sort of a, an issue of the supply cabinet. That you know, the, um, the the cells are used in in production of every lot. What may be different here is that the taint, uh, is applying to some tools in the tool, tool drawer. Um, you know, there are, there are mentions of HEK 293 cells in a, in a patent, um, who, who, who performed those tests is not particularly clear. Were they one-time things not, uh, necessary for every lot? Uh, one time, you know, one time I'm, I'm, I'm speculating, um, uh, Confirmatory tests to justify the patent. Um, it's it, 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 it's not clear to me uh, completely what the situation is, but I think it's uh, at a if if there is still a taintedness, it's at a greater distance, a greater remove uh, than when the cell lines are used in viral production.
0: Yeah, to follow up on that, and I'm I'm wondering, John and both Father Tad, how much of the confusion surrounding, if it is that, if it's you know confusion around the use of HEK two ninety three stems from the fact that Moderna's information is proprietary. In other words, it's it's difficult to know exactly what's going on. Is is that part of the part of the problem here as well?
1: Uh, I, I, we certainly are in a situation of incomplete understanding and. Okay. Um, you know, uh, uh, so proprietary. You know, uh, so yes, I think I think that is a, uh, an element. Okay.
0: Father Ted,
2: um, I'm not sure if the proprietary piece is is a big piece in the sense that typically, to the extent that uh, there is publication of sources, then one can check on this, and I think that there's been sufficient information up to this point to be able to draw a conclusion one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Huh. Second follow-up question. We're, we're focusing on the, the use of HEK-293 and some of the, the preliminary um, testing for the COVID-19 vaccine. Does this issue come up with other vaccines or other pharmaceuticals in general? I mean, even vaccines that we may say are ethical, have they uh, also benefited from this information, this, this background, or this preliminary information that was gained using the HEK two ninety three or other cell lines? Uh,
1: so the the one of the studies that involved you know the, the characterizing the the shape of the spike protein that that's so fundamental it would it would involve every therapeutic every uh, vaccine uh, potentially. Um, there are. Um, There's a DNA-type vaccine being tested by a company called Inovio that also has mentions of HEK-293 cells in its patent, or one of its patents. Uh, And then there are other vaccines, uh, the one from the University of Oxford, the one from um, uh, Johnson & Johnson, that uh, use either HEK-293 or a similar cell line for the production. Right. Uh, method, you know, every lot. Um, so, so uh, it, you know, each product has to be looked at differently, but there are some some common aspects as well.
0: Okay. Father Ted, anything to add to that? Uh,
2: yeah, I think that some of the testing that will be done, for example, in the primate models, the rhesus macaque monkey uh, testing they will be doing some antibody uh, and T-cell response tests. And some of those will rely on HEK293 cells to express the S-protein or to express what they call pseudoviruses for the antibody testing. So that kind of follow-up where maybe you have a company That develops a vaccine and does the testing in a primate model, many of them are likely to then use HEK-293 in some of the subsequent follow-up, you know, serum antibody test uh, protocols. So yes, I think HEK-293 is a widely deployed, it's kind of a ubiquitous cell line and it touches on a number of different aspects of a serious effort to rapidly make available a vaccine in circumstances like we're in. Hmm.
0: Does that subsequent serum testing does does that uh, how, how does that weigh into the into the and we're getting into the ethical discussion a little bit but does that um in your opinion how does that play into the question of the use of HEK293 in the development of Moderna's COVID-19 if it's being used sort of in the in the preliminary testing and then it sounds as if you're saying it's being used kind of on the back end to to test efficacy how does that play into the the overall question of, of how these this cell line is being used in the, quote-unquote, again, very large-term development of the Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine?
2: Well, I would say it, it plays in, for sure. I think the question, in terms of the ethics, becomes, is this something, for example, that a person of conscience needs to say to themselves, well, there's uh, some kind of a overly close association with the original abortion that would make me say I don't want to be vaccinated. And I don't think that would be the appropriate response in the face of these kinds of realities surrounding Moderna's vaccine development efforts. I would say, rather, whenever we identify a lateral process that involves the use of HEK293, it's always going to be appropriate for us to say, shouldn't we look for alternatives? So if they have some antibody binding assay that does at the moment rely on the expression of the protein, the spike protein in this way in hek293 cells then you know scientists who have developed that and companies who are making this available perhaps as a, a kit should be challenged to develop an alternative protocol an alternative assay that does not rely on hek293 cell certainly that's a, a duty if you will a, a, an imperative that if we're serious about uh, Stepping away from the use of cell lines that originally came from abortions, that would be one area that we need to tackle. But I don't think it. in the face of a significant health crisis, this is not the moment to say, well, here we have something kind of distantly connected to abortion and I judge that I or I deem that I need to avoid vaccination. And you know this this connects with uh, a statement that came out from the Pontifical Academy of Life back in 2005, when basically the same conclusion uh, was was emphasized that parents are able to vaccinate their children even if there is not an alternative vaccine that does not rely on these cell lines. If, if no such vaccine is available. Uh, then they are able to use the vaccine that may be even much more directly developed than the Moderna one and vaccinate their children. Although that document makes it clear they should do it under protest. Uh, They should be contacting the pharmaceutical company that made whichever vaccine they are using and registering their displeasure and saying you know you need to change the way this was made so i think when when we recognize that that you know even the vatican in reviewing this has acknowledged that it's allowable to do it then i think when we ask the question about a more distant association meaning a more distant causal association then um i don't think there is a a problem with. The utilization of a vaccine like the one developed, being developed by Moderna.
0: Okay. John, Father Tad just gave us an overview of some of the, the ethical considerations. I'm wondering if you have anything you'd like to add to what he said.
1: What the um, Pontifical Academy of Life for Life and the uh, Dignitas Personae call on us is to compare. Uh, the, or or, um, acknowledge the situation with how serious the disease is. And that is the part of the reason that um, it is acceptable, in my opinion, to take these vaccines uh, to be a clinical trial site because uh, of how lethal um, the the COVID-19 infection is. All
0: right. So just to to summarize and to clarify, just to kind of bring this to an end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement, and I'm gonna ask John you to comment, agree, disagree. Then Father Tad, agree, disagree. So statement number one: H E K two ninety three cells are not being used in the direct development of Moderna's COVID nineteen vaccine. John,
1: uh, I, I cast development very broadly, so I disagree with
2: that.
0: Okay, Father Tad.
2: I would agree they're not in the direct development of the
0: vaccine itself. All right. Statement two, HEK-293 cells are being used in the direct production of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. John? Uh, certainly disagree. Father Tad? Same here. Statement three, HEK-293 cells are being used or have been used in the preliminary testing of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, as well as possibly in its testing for efficacy. John?
1: Uh, I agree with the first part and disagree with the part about efficacy. That has a specific meaning.
0: Right. Would you like to expand on that a bit?
1: Well, efficacy is what's happening right now in, in the phase three trials. To, d- does the vaccine prevent infection? Does it prevent disease? I, I, I see it having, had, ha- having been used, it seems, in, in the establishment of the the design of the product, essentially, okay. but not
2: whether the product works.
0: Okay. Father Ted?
2: Um, yeah, so I mean, I suppose a bit of a subtle distinction, the question of whether the product works, uh, in the sense that, at least in the primate studies, the fact that there were measure of appreciable antibody responses would seem to me to indicate that the efficacy of the vaccine is being verified using an an assay that does rely on HEK-293. So that in that sense, I think I would agree, uh, Joe, with your statement.
0: All right. What final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? John,
1: Um, there is no call to martyrdom. Uh, We should be we should noisily object to to abortion in any kind of situation. But if you have others uh, depending on you, um, children, spouse, um, nurse working in a hospital, policeman on the beat, um, protect yourself from infection. Um, This is a really lethal. You know there, there's people who you refusing to wear masks because they doubt the disease, don't doubt the disease. This is a very bad virus.
0: Father Ted, any last final words of wisdom for our listeners?
2: I think that it is important for Catholics to be aware of this issue. I think especially for Catholics who are in science and research, there's a certain sense in which God plants us in particular gardens, if you will, and he asks of us to tend the garden around us. And I think sometimes, in my experience, Catholics in the workplace sometimes have a bit of a divided mentality here that, well, you know, there are things at work that can go on and and as long as I go home and on Sunday I get to Mass, uh, you know, it's a bit of a minimalistic approach when I think our Lord invites us to all the time be responding to grace that says, you know, even in my workplace, if I'm in a laboratory doing research and I'm interacting with the PI, principal investigator, and with other lab mates, you know, and we're designing experiments or doing research, how should we be approaching some of these important questions? And shouldn't we be trying to deflect evil choices even in that arena? So, I I think all of us need to be aware of this issue. It's an issue that I think we have for too long, uh, kind of looked at askance, and it affects now more and more of the elements that are that are of the of the products really that are being produced and that touch us in our daily lives. So, I think this is a good point with the coronavirus pandemic for us to look at it again, and to do what we can where God has planted us uh, to push back against this kind of gradual encroachment of this type of cell line in so many aspects of biomedical research.
0: Father Tad Proholczyk and Dr. John Gravenstein, thank you for your time today. Thank Thank you so much. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at Jzalot.com at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcast, please go to our website, hover on the blogs and podcasts button, and then click bioethics on air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on ask a question. Thank you for listening today. And may God's peace be with you.